Our scripture today is from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. It's in the Pew Bible. It's the New Testament, page 88. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not, where it, do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent to be lifted in the wilderness, so let the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What do you think it would be like to meet Jesus face to face? Have you ever thought about that? When I was a kid, I spent a lot of time at church. Shocking, right? Uh, I was there on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday evenings, and lots of other odd times during the week when my parents were at a meeting or preparing to teach Sunday school or my mother was working as the volunteer church librarian. Our church had this educational building that was three stories tall, and every once in a while I would have to go clear up to the third floor to a storage room to find my mother who was working on something or to go get something for her. And I know this sounds like no big deal, but that's because you haven't been to that church. The hallways at College Hill United Methodist in Wichita were creepy, okay? They were painted cinder block walls, tile floors in green and black. There was no art on the walls, just a long hallway of classroom doors all shut. The, the hallways were tall, and they were cool, and they were dark. And as an eight or a 10 year old, I felt like they were full of shadows and full of mystery. And I was pretty sure that one day I was gonna climb up that big staircase to the third floor, turn the corner and there I would see Jesus in the hallway 
waiting for me. I assumed that he would be like a ghost, semi-transparent and glowing, and I knew just what he would look like. I brought a photo to show you. That's what he would look like. Now, you might recognize this is the portrait of Jesus that was painted by Solomon Warner, and a copy of it, larger than life-size, hung right next to the landing of that same staircase on the main floor. So I passed it every time I went up the stairs. And every time I was alone, I opened the door from the stairway into that landing and stepped into the third floor hallway, and I always held my breath, wondering if Jesus would be there. You know what? He never was. Not one time. It was always just a little bit of a disappointment to me. Because the truth is, as nervous as I was about the idea that Jesus would be waiting in the third floor hallway for me, I actually wanted him to be there. I wanted him to be there. I wanted to have some kind of special encounter with him. Not because I thought that it would make me cool, but because I really loved all the stories that I knew about Jesus, and I wanted to see him for myself. Now, I expect that's a sentiment that a whole lot of people had in the first century in Galilee. They had heard stories about Jesus, about his teachings, about his healing, about his power, about his presence, and they wanted to see him for themselves. Luckily for them, they could if they would just walk far enough. Right? We read in the scriptures that crowds followed Jesus everywhere that he went. Massive numbers of people were all around him, aching to get close to him, to hear him, to see him, to know him. And, and those crowd scenes in the gospel stories are really important. They're powerful, and they teach us a lot about who Jesus is. But every once in a while, every once in a while, we get a story in the scripture that's not about a crowd. Every once in a while, we read a story about Jesus meeting someone up close and personal. They have a face-to-face -face encounter with him. Sometimes they're all alone. And these are some of the most riveting stories that we have in all of the gospel accounts. So this year, during the season of Lent, we're going to take a look at some of these stories about people who met Jesus face-to-face, -face, often one-on-one. -on -one. All the stories come from the Gospel of John. These are moments when Jesus is up close and personal, and we're going to look and see what they experienced, what they learned, and see what it might have to teach us about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. That's meeting Jesus. Okay, so today we have the story of Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And we hear Pharisee and we think, oh, he's a bad dude. We didn't want anything to do with Nicodemus. Well, not exactly. Pharisees, they were opposed to Jesus in a lot of ways. They gave him a lot of trouble. They wanted him just kind of be quiet and disappear. But Pharisee really just meant somebody who had devoted themselves to the study of the law, of the Torah, and they wanted to live lives that were holy. Pharisees wanted to live lives that were devoted to God, and they wanted to help other Jewish people live lives that were holy, lives that were devoted to God. These were guys who took their faith very seriously. They, they loved God. They wanted to obey God's commandments. Now, they often got a little sideways or screwed up in how they were applying those commandments, and Jesus wasn't afraid to point that out, and that got him in some trouble, created tension between the Pharisees and Jesus. It's for that reason, I suspect, that Nicodemus came to see Jesus at night. Scripture says he came at night. He didn't want other people to know that he was interested in what Jesus had to say. 
Nicodemus seems to come seeking understanding. He's not trying to trick Jesus. He's not trying to fool him. But his coming at night is a signal from the gospel writer that he's not fully on board with who Jesus is. In the gospel of John, if you read through John, you'll see the words dark and light a lot. And it's kind of a code. People who believe and understand Jesus, they are children of the light. And people who don't believe or don't understand, they sit in darkness. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. It's a signal to us he's not yet a disciple. He doesn't yet get it. So he starts off with a statement. He doesn't ask Jesus a question. He says that he and all the other Pharisees, actually, they know that Jesus comes from God because there's no way that Jesus could do all the stuff he's doing if he wasn't sent by God. And Jesus responds, saying that everyone who wants to enter the kingdom of heaven must be born And here we have a word that has multiple meanings. I don't know if you noticed this, but when Diane read the scripture, she said, she read, uh, everyone who wants to enter the kingdom of God must be born from above. Now, Barb, when she was giving the children's sermon, she said everyone must be born again. Or we could also even say born anew. The word in Greek means all those things, above, uh, again, anew must be born again, must be born from above, must be born anew. It means all those things together. I don't think we have to pick one of those meanings over any other. Jesus can be implying all those things at the same time. Now, of course, Nicodemus, he only hears one of those meanings. He hears born again, and he gets confused. He asks, how can I enter into my mother's womb a second time? Now, I really like Nicodemus, but you guys, this is a dumb question. Nicodemus is trying to be a literalist, and it doesn't work. Jesus is not speaking of a literal second birth. So he reiterates, he says, to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born of water and the Spirit. And and I imagine Nicodemus there with a very confused look on his face still. And then Jesus says something else that probably doesn't make it any clearer. He says, the wind blows where it will. (laughs) Where's he coming from? I don't know. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Now, I think I've told you this before, but in Greek and in Hebrew, actually, the word for spirit is the very same word as the word for wind or the word for breath. The word in Greek is pneuma. The word in Hebrew is ruach. So in Greek, this passage reads, Jesus saying, the pneuma blows where it will. So is everyone who's born of the pneuma. Makes a little more sense. A little wordplay Jesus is doing there. He's lifting up the unpredictability of the spirit of God, but he's also emphasizing that it's the spirit that brings new life, new birth. It's the spirit that helps us experience the kingdom of God. Now, we know that Nicodemus came to Jesus as a curious, though maybe cautious, questioner. And after he asks these questions, the story kind of moves on without him. Jesus starts talking and keeps talking, and pretty soon we're on to a different story, and we don't actually know how the encounter ended for Nicodemus. Was he born again? Did he feel the Spirit move through his heart? Did he understand what Jesus was saying and move from darkness to light? We can't be sure. The scripture doesn't say. But we do have a couple hints that maybe Nicodemus' heart was changed that day. 
later on in chapter 7. We're in chapter 3 right today. In chapter 7, we run into Nicodemus just briefly and another moment when the tension is high and the Pharisees are trying to get Jesus arrested. Nicodemus kind of seems to stand up for Jesus, to stick up for him, and he asks, hey, don't we want to treat everyone fairly? And then all the way at the end of the story, chapter 19, Nicodemus shows up again when Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea takes Jesus' body down from the cross, Nicodemus, this Pharisee, he comes along with a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing, the scripture says, weighing a hundred pounds. It's this sign of generosity and respect and love from Nicodemus to Jesus. Nicodemus helps put Jesus' body in the grave. So, Maybe Nicodemus did end up being born from above or born again. Maybe he did end up with his heart transformed. Maybe he was a disciple of Jesus after all. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above or being born again. That seems to have impacted Nicodemus' life. But what about us? I want to confess to you something today. It's good. You saw my baby picture already, so... I just want you to know that when I was a teenager, I had a really, really messy room. Does that change your whole idea of me? No, probably not. Probably most of us did. But I had a really messy room. I mean, not like bugs crawling in it. That would have never happened in my house. I would have been in trouble beyond trouble. But messy enough that it was a continual frustration to my mother. So much so that one day we were in a Christian bookstore in Wichita and I found this door hanger and, and I knew I just had to have it. I brought it home and I put it on the outside of my bedroom door to warn the world that my room was not going to be tidy. And it said, Jesus makes beautiful things of my life. It's just that my room isn't one of them. <laughs> I really loved that door hanger. Now, why do I tell you this? <laughs> It's because preaching professor Alice McKenzie says that being born again is a daily process of flipping the card on the door that says to God, flipping it from, please do not disturb, to please come in and help us clean our room. We start out at, please do not disturb. I like my mess, God. I'm going to keep it. I don't want to be bothered getting cleaned up. I want to sit right here in all the drama and all the pain and all the anger and all the fear and all the insecurity and all the despair and all the turmoil that I've got going on. I'm attached to these things and I want to keep them. I'm not interested in the peace or comfort or cleansing or hopefulness or forgiveness or joy that you have. Please do not disturb God. And then one day we find the courage or the inspiration, or the desperation, or the openness to open up the door to our heart and flip the door hanger over and say to God, please come in and help me clean up this mess. That's being born again. Now, I used to be really uncomfortable with born again language. It felt manipulative to me. It felt insincere to me. It felt like the language that only a certain kind of Christian would use, and I was not that kind of Christian. I felt like if I would say, I've been born again, 
that it meant that I had come down to the altar at the call of some charismatic preacher. I don't know, they always shake their hands like this. Charismatic preacher. And I had been on my knees and I had cried all kinds of tears and I had asked Jesus into my heart with a very specific prayer and my life had never been the same again. But you know what? That never happened to me. Not one time. And I remember, remember though, never an altar call like that never happened, but remember I was the kid who was looking for Jesus in the dark hallways of the church at like seven years old. Now, though, what I realize is that while some people have a big spiritual experience like that, and if you've had a, a moment like that when you came to the altar and felt like everything was different, that's awesome. But it's not like everything in your life changes in that instant, right? Uh, we can claim the freedom, the power, the renewal, the rebirth that Jesus gives us, but it's not something that we just claim once and forget about it. No matter if it happens in a big moment or gradually, we have to claim it over and over again, day after day. It can be dramatic, but it doesn't have to be. It's never a once and for all experience. Think about somebody who's in recovery. They might well have had a moment when they were ready to say, I need to be reborn. I need a new life. I need to stop drinking. And maybe they can even name a specific time and place that that happened, or maybe they can't. Maybe it was more gradual. Maybe it was something they had thought about for a long time. Either way, that first moment they decide to get sober, that's not the end. They have to choose and experience rebirth as a sober person every single day. Every single day that they choose not to drink alcohol. Now being born again, it's more like living in or entering into a new way of living a daily process that over time changes every part of our life that's why dr mckenzie said it's flipping over that door hanger every day it's saying to jesus every day come in again today and clean up this mess clean up this mess in my head and in my heart now do we all have to be reborn i'm afraid to say we do Jesus says to live in the kingdom of God, we need to be born from above, because we all do. Even if you're sitting here thinking, hey, Pastor Amy, I'm a pretty good person. Have you met me? I'm full of love, full of kindness, full of generosity. I'm great to have at parties. Well, yeah, I think you're great too. I do. And I think you're far from perfect. I suspect that you, like me, you have a bit of a mess inside. You have some stubbornness or some anger or some selfishness in a few corners of your heart. We all have moments when we neglect others or we expect too much or we judge others, even if only in our heads. We all have moments when our words get away from us or we're consumed by worry. We all have messes. And we need the power, the protection, the love of God to help clean them up. Hopefully they aren't the exact same messes we had yesterday or two years ago. Hopefully we're growing and maturing and being transformed by the love of God. But being made into God's likeness with a pure heart, it is a long process. And it requires new doses of God's grace every day. 
thankfully for us, the, God, the grace of God is never ending. The love of God cannot be exhausted. So when we invite God in today to deal with our mess, God's ready. God's here. God is able. My challenge to you this week is to think of yourself if you were in the position of Nicodemus. If you met Jesus in the dark. If you came to him in the late evening and you had a chat with him, what would he say needs to be reformed in you? Where would he say you need to be born again? Of what mess would he invite you to let go? Take a moment today or this week to pray, and in your head, flip around that door hanger on the door to your heart and ask God to come in once again with forgiving cleansing, renewing love that only God can bring. Receive again today, my friends, the gift of being born from above. Amen.